I grew up with grandparents. How many of you were privileged to have your grandparents uh, in your life to some extent? Um, one set lived a mile south, one set lived a mile east. Um, my grandma and grandpa Smith, I had their names were Smiths and Brown, no kidding. And um, my grandpa Parker, I never really knew. I met him twice, didn't know grandpa Parker. He took his own life. It was a tragic ending to that. He lived in Louisiana. I saw him twice. My, uh, my grandmother remarried uh, O'Gorman Brown about 10 years before I was ever born. So their names were Harry and Mary Smith and Catherine and O'Gorman Brown, okay? O'Gorman's a great name. If you've got five or six kids and you've kind of run out of creativity, O'Gorman would be something that nobody's ever thought of in the 21st century. Loved my grandparents, just loved them. They all died, different stages, different time frames. I had the wonderful privilege of preaching the funeral for all four of my grandparents, and it was truly an honor to be able to do that. But where are they today? When you think about people who are believers, who have gone on, where are they? And and what in the world are they doing today? Uh, you know, uh, Danita lost her brother. My brother-in-law passed away October 27th. Where is he? What, what's he doing right now to today? Probably there's not a single person in this room who hasn't lost someone. Uh, an aunt, an uncle, a child, God forbid, uh, a parent, a grandparent, a brother, a sister, a, a best friend. I mean, how many of us in this room have lost loved ones or lost friends in our life? I mean, is there anybody in this room that hasn't lost somebody yet? And maybe you're, you're 10 and you haven't lost somebody yet. That's possible. That's exactly right. But most of us in this room, we, we, we've lost loved ones. And so we ask the question, well, where are they? And what are they doing? And as you look at Scripture, it sometimes gets rather confusing because you see that you know, Jesus talked to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And there's a story where, you know, a rich man died and went to Hades and a, a poor man was carried away to Abraham's side. Well, what the heck is Abraham's side? And where, where, is, where is that? We read in different sections of Scripture where the Bible talks about this earth and this heaven will be destroyed. And we read other sections of Scripture that talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And we get to the last chapters of Revelation, and they talk about now the dwelling of God is with man. And so I don't know about you, but some of that's rather confusing. And how do you tie all this together about life after death? Well, the place to start is always John 3.16. It is without doubt the most famous verse that we have, right? I mean, can we all just about quote John 3.16? Seven of you can quote John 3.16. We know this verse. It's at football games. I saw this on TV last night in one of the end zones on, on, the, on, the, on the Steelers game. It was the Steelers game last night, by the way. Um, I saw that. I saw that. It was incredible. John 3.16, I've always looked at this verse And I focused on different aspects. For just a second, just a second, let's focus on the last two words of this verse. There's so many components of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. 
I got to be honest with you, I focus on just about everything else in that verse except the very last two words. And it's eternal life that I think we're concerned about. I think all of us in this room have an interest in eternal life. And so I know this. I know the Bible is clear about our final spot. The very last place that we're going to be, the Bible is crystal clear. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to come back to this in this series. But Revelation 21, 1 through 5 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is it. This is the permanent place that that believers are going to be. For the first heaven and the first earth, the first earth passed away. I'm sorry. Can I start over again? Thank you. I make a living doing this. Let me try this one more time. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. That's just a word for separation. There'll be a lot of water in heaven. I'm sure of that. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has has, has, has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these these words are trustworthy and true. Now this is the permanent heaven. This is where we're going to be. This is the final spot. But I don't think that's where my grandparents are today. I don't think that's where my brother-in-law Larry is today. I don't think that's where your friends and your neighbors and your family members who are Christians, I think that's yet to come. That's the final place, the final resting place. And so there is, in Revelation 21, now the dwelling of God is with men, and heaven kind of comes down to this earth. It's a new earth, and that'll be the final place. We'll talk more about that in the future. Don't get bogged down on that today. But before that happens, there's a couple other things that are going to take place in our lives. So what are those, and where are those going to be? Well, in Philippians chapter um, 1, the Apostle Paul gives us a hint about something else. And Paul says, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary that I remain with you in the body. So wherever Grandma and Grandpa are, Wherever Larry is, it's with the Lord. That's a no-brainer. Paul said, I'd rather die and be with the Lord. So where was it and what did it look like? We don't have a full glimpse yet, but according to this, it it is with the Lord. And then we get the clue from Jesus. And Jesus in Luke chapter 23 tells us this. There's a thief on one side of him and a thief on the other side of him. And one guy's yelling curses at him. And the other guy says, would you remember me? Would you remember me in your kingdom? And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, where is paradise? And as people today who may not be real familiar with Jewish history, that's something that's kind of like overwhelming to us. Well, what do you mean paradise? Sounds like a good place. Now, just for a second, the Old Testament literature was filled with references to paradise and Abraham's side. Both the Talmud and the Mishnah talk greatly about paradise and Abraham's side. 
And the Talmud is not equal with Scripture, but the Talmud is like the Jewish rule book written by rabbis. It's the Jewish codes of laws and ethics and how we do life. And so the Talmud talks about paradise in Abraham's sight, the Mishnah. The Mishnah was oral tradition that got passed on from generation to generation to generation. And finally they said, you know what, we better write this thing down. These oral stories are good, but somebody better write this whole thing down. And so the Mishnah then are the oral stories written down. Both the Mishnah and the Talmud talk about paradise and Abraham's side. Doesn't make them biblical. Doesn't make them scriptural. But anytime an, an anti or an outside source can support what the Bible says, I get excited about. Because it just brings credibility to what we already believe in. And so today, I, I want to show you just kind of like a little chart real quickly. Now, this is not about charts and dates and places and correct theology. Life after death is much bigger than that. Properly understood, life after death is about God. Properly understood, life after death is about God wanting to be with you. So this isn't about charts and dates and places and all that kind of stuff. Are you with me? It's okay if we don't see it the same way. It's okay if we don't even agree. It's okay if you're wrong. But here's what I think the Bible teaches. All right? Look at this chart. First of all, let's go to the next one. There we go. There's two separate judgments. First of all, for those people who are Christians, for those people who are in Christ, for those who die in Christ, my grandparents, Larry, okay? First of all, what happens is I think there is, the Bible talks about a temporary heaven. I think where grandma and grandpa are today, I think where Larry is today, I think where all of your relatives and friends who've died in Christ I think the Bible's clear about paradise, or Abraham's side, which is a temporary resting place. What happens then, after that, is when Jesus Christ comes again. And when Christ comes again, those who are believers go to the judgment seat of Christ. Why? Why do we go to the judgment seat of Christ? Because we go there to be judged for the things that we've done and get rewarded for. We're not judged for our sins. Our sins have already been cleansed. Our sins have already been taken care of. And then there is the last place we go to, which is Revelation 21, 1 through 5, which is a permanent place. So I think, I think the Bible is clear in teaching a temporary heaven, an intermediate heaven, if you will, and a final heaven, a more permanent heaven. Now, again, what happens to those who die who are outside of Christ? This is not as good news. Those who die outside of Christ, there is a judgment for them, and that judgment for them is about their sins. They're in Haiti. Hades today. Then, I'm sorry, then go to the next one. Then there's the great white throne judgment, and those who are believers, you don't want to be there. That's a place you don't want to be. None of us will hopefully be there, because we're Christians. And then the last place is what's called Gehenna, or, or the lake of fire. So, now, just look at these two charts, and we're going to come back to this. This is not about charts and dates and places and correct theology. I watch some of these guys on TV, and I just want to throw up. Because that's not what it's about. The whole point about life after death is God wants to be with his people. The whole point about life after death is Jesus is preparing a place for you. And I think that the Bible is really, really cool and has some great clues as, as to how this is. So I'm going to try today to teach on two passages of Scripture I've never taught on before in my entire life. 
I think these two passages of Scripture are related to that intermediate heaven. I think there are two passages that are crystal clear about what happens in that paradise or Abraham's side or that intermediate place. And, and I want to talk about it today because I think it has a real bearing on our, on our lives. So the first of these two passages that I've never taught on before, turn with me to Luke chapter 16. If you've got a Bible in Luke chapter 16, some people have called this a parable. If this is a parable, it is the only time Jesus ever mentions people by name. In, in all the other parables, Jesus Christ will say a certain so-and-so, or a certain man, or a certain woman, or a certain place, or a certain... He never is specific. In this particular story, he calls the guy Lazarus. He calls the poor man who dies by name. He calls the keeper of the place Abraham. And so I don't think it's a parable because there's no other parables that Jesus ever called anybody by name. The other reason I don't think it's a parable is the fact that his best friend was Lazarus, who was rich. Remember Mary and Martha's brother who died? That Lazarus was very, very wealthy. And so this Lazarus is very, very poor. And I don't think Jesus would be confusing in his stories. I think this is a real story. I think these are real people. So turn with me to Luke chapter 16. And I want to start with the first, first couple of verses. Verses 19 through 21. It says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. So Jesus is setting the scene. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with living in luxury. This guy just was in a position to do a lot of good, and he didn't do it. This guy was in a position to help a whole lot of people, and he didn't help anybody. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple, fine linen, lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus. Right outside of his gate, there was somebody he could have helped. Right outside of his gate, by his doorsteps, in his neighborhood, was somebody he could make a difference in. And this guy could care less. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Look at verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. That's just kind of a cool story. If you read a lot of near-death experiences, some people claim that at death, they see an angel. Some people have said at death, they see a bright light. Some people have said they see somebody as a host guiding them and carrying them to wherever they're supposed to be. It fits with what Jesus is saying. The angels carried him to Abraham's side. Again, the Talmud and the Mishnah talk extensively about Abraham's side. Other translations will call it Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and he was buried. Look at verse 23. In hell, where he was in torment. This is now the rich man. He looked up and he saw Abraham far away. This is interesting. Can people in paradise today see people who didn't make it? Can people who aren't in the right spots see people who are in the right spots according to this story they are and they can and they do I don't know all to make of that I'm just going to teach scripture in fact I should just read this let you figure it out for yourself verse 24 so he called to him this is now the the rich guy who's now in, in, in torment father Abraham Real names. I think this is truly Abraham. 
Have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger. Lazarus was the poor guy outside of his gates who had covered with sores. To tip the finger, tip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Verse 25. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. I don't think this verse is saying that you get there by your good deeds. I think you always get there by your faith and your righteousness in God. And, and apparently what we'll have to assume is that the rich man didn't have a righteous faith in God. And the poor man named Lazarus had a great faith in God. We'll have to assume that. Verse 26. Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to there cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. So if you're in paradise, you can't cross the chasm and go into agony. If you're in agony, you can't cross the chasm and go to paradise. It's too late, according to Jesus. Look at verse 27. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Verse 29. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead... Now, this is foreshadowing Jesus' resurrection. This is foreshadowing the cross. No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent, he said to them. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. It's a great story. It fits with what Jesus said to the thief on the cross today you shall be with me in paradise. Now, I have no problem if people go from here to a permanent heaven. That's wonderful. I just don't think that's what the Bible teaches. I think the Bible teaches that there is a temporary resting place. I think in that temporary resting place, people have bodies. The greatest story about that is is on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus and the guys go up to the Mount, Elijah and Moses show up. Elijah and Moses had bodies. They weren't disembodied spirits floating around. Mo and Eli showed up as real people. And even the guys recognized them for who they were. They could see who they, who they were. So that's one story. Now the next story is out of Revelation chapter 6. Now this one gets dicey. In Revelation chapter 6, in just a few short verses, there are 22 facts about life after death. We're going to share 13 of them, and that's probably too many, but there's 13 in your bulletin. If you're a note taker, I put a little space in there for you. But I want to read this story first, and then we'll go back and we'll um, dissect it. So far, are you still with me? Okay, we're talking about life after death, and I think the Bible teaches a temporary heaven, and I think it teaches a permanent heaven. I think we're in the temporary heaven as long as we're there until Jesus comes again. But there will come a day when Jesus Christ will come again. And by the way, that's the whole theme of the Bible. The old covenant is Jesus is coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is here. The rest of the New Testament, Jesus is coming again. That's the whole Bible right there. That's it. That's the whole Bible. So he comes again. And when he comes again and the trumpet call comes, there's going to be a judgment of the believers and the non-believers and, and a new heaven, a new earth. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. All right, you ready for the second passage I've never taught on before? All right, here we go. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. When he opened the fifth seal, 
I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Now here's a passage of scripture that tells us that people in this paradise, Abraham's side, temporary heaven, intermediate heaven, whatever you want to call it, they know what's going on on earth. And these were martyrs. These were people who had been killed for their faith. Now, Fox's Book of Martyrs and the Voice of the Martyrs estimate that there's as many as 150,000 Christians every year whose lives are taken and they're martyred. And so there's a large number of people today who are being persecuted for their faith. In fact, this statistic I think is amazing. There are more people today being persecuted for their faith than any other time in history. It's just not in America. Or it's just not yet. So look at these different 13 on your bulletin, and I want you to see through these 13. Here we go. Number one, I want you to notice some facts about life after death. When these people died on earth, they relocated to heaven. I think it's the intermediate heaven. I think it's the temporary heaven. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw on the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Now there's several that go with verse 9. Look at number 2. Also, verse 9 says, people in heaven will be remembered for their lives on earth. So they're going to be remembered. Also, Revelation 6, 9. Number 3, they called out. Means they could talk. They had voices. They had lips. They, They had abilities to speak. They called out in a loud voice. I love that. I missed that for years. They're calling out to God. They can speak to God. They're not some floating, disembodied spirit just kind of hanging from cloud to cloud, halo to halo. Okay? Number four. They ask God a question. And they ask God to intervene on earth and to act on their behalf. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and you avenge our blood? God, will you act on our behalf? How long is this going to be? How long will you let this take place? Don't you and I have some of the same questions? God, how long are you going to let children be molested? God, how long are you going to let people die of starvation? God, how long? I ask the same questions all the time. And people in this intermediate heaven are asking God, how long? How long, God, before you just come back and just take care of all this? They ask God questions. Number five, they are free to ask God questions. Now, I like this one. I ask God a lot of questions. I do. And I think it's okay to ask God questions. And I think it's okay to be mad at God. I think it's okay to sometimes shake our fist at God. I don't think he's rattled. Oh, they're so upset. What am I going to do? I think God's okay with that. God's cool with that. And they're upset. How long, God? How long are you going to do this? Number six. They know what's happening on earth. How long until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Still verse 10. They know what's going on. Verse 7. They have a deep concern for justice. Again, all in Revelation 6.10, these three little verses, we're sharing 13. I think there's 22 facts. I just think that's too many to share on a Sunday morning. Number eight, the martyrs remember their lives on earth. Okay, they're in heaven, paradise, Abraham's side, temporary. They're there, but they can remember their life on earth. Do you judge the inhabitants of the earth and you avenge our blood? 
Number nine, they are praying for judgment on their persecutors who are still at work hurting others. So do people in paradise pray for you and me? Do people who've gone on before us, is my brother-in-law praying for me? Well, he knows me. He probably prays for me on a regular basis. So yeah, I think he is. He is. That's an interesting statistic, in fact, if it's true. Verse 10. Those in heaven are distinct individuals. They're not just some massive glob. It says each one of them. Then each of them. See, each of them, individual, personal, they're individuals. And each of them was given a white robe. They were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were killed as they had been was completed. Look at verse number 11 then. The white robe suggests physical forms. Again, I, I don't think we're just these disembodied people up in heaven. I think it suggests a physical form. They were given a white robe. I mean, if you're, if you're not a physical form, how can you wear a white robe? How can you wear anything? Right? It's going to fall off of you. Number 12, God answers their question. He told them to wait a little longer. He told them to wait. He told them to wait. Doesn't he tell you that? Doesn't he tell me that? God, I want this now. I want it here. I want it, I want it now. I don't understand it. God says, wait. Just, just wait a little longer. Just wait a little longer. Number 13, I think this is interesting. For those of you that are time conscious, there is time in the intermediate resting place. Now, for some of you that don't like time, that may sound more like hell than heaven. I don't know. But he said they were told to wait a little longer, isn't it? They were told to wait just a little bit longer. See, for me, it all comes back to John 3.16. It all comes back to that. You see, this life after death, whether you believe in a permanent heavens permanent you know immediately or you think there's an intermediate heaven as I do and there's a you know, permanent heaven forever it, it doesn't really matter this is a God who wants to be with you I mean life after death properly understood is all about God life after death properly understood is all about God wanting to be with you wanting to have a relationship with you now I want that to sink in for just a second Because if you think about this, my father wants to be with you. My father likes you. My father wants to spend time with you. My father created a beautiful garden and he put Adam and Eve in it and told them to have creation and dominion over it and they blew it. But my father has been working all this time through prophets, priests, judges, kings, rulers, and finally his own son. And my father, in the very last two chapters of the book of Revelation, says, Now the dwelling of God is with men. Finally, at last, I'm there. I've got what I want. What God wants more than anything else is you. He wants your heart. He wants your devotion. He wants your time. He wants your attention. This is not about dates and charts and correct theology and about places. I won't even argue with people about it. I won't. Because I might be wrong. Honestly, it's not about that. It's all about a heavenly Father who wants to do life with you today and forever. And your eternal life began, let's go back to John 3.16. Your eternal life began the moment you gave your life to Christ. 
For God so loved the world that gave His only begotten Son, who will believe in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. The moment you believed, when you said, yes, I believe, that is the moment that your eternal life began. And so, yeah, you're going to die, unless Jesus comes again before that, but your eternity has already begun with Him. And that's what life after death is all about. Our Father wants to to spend time with you. Our Father likes you. Our Father wants to be with you. Our Father is crazy about you and crazy about me. Now, I have read hundreds of after-death experiences and near-death experiences in preparation for this series, and they are fascinating. I told you a story last week about a near-death experience of where a person, you know, really it was great. It was wonderful. It was awesome. I'm going to tell you one right now. I'm going to close with one right now that wasn't so good. In fact, the guy's last name is Storm. And he was about to enter into the greatest storm of his life. His first name is Howard. Don't get that confused with Howard Stern. This is Howard Storm, okay? But Howard Stern needs to listen to this illustration. It would fit as well, okay? But Howard Storm is an artist. He is an art professor, uh, and he's a very tough, survival, the fittest. You know, it's all about me. And um, he was not a Christian, didn't like Christians, thought Christians were weak, immature. And um, this was, I I actually want you to see the words on the screen, what he said about himself. So I got some, these are are Howard Storm's words. Why would I need to believe in a higher power? Who would put the needs of others ahead of their own needs? You have to watch your back always. Life is every man for himself. This is Howard Storm's philosophy. The one who dies with the most toys wins. Compassion is for the weak. If you don't take care of yourself, nobody else will. I thought I was the biggest, baddest bear in the woods. I like that. I really like that. I thought I was the biggest, baddest bear in the woods. Wasn't I good enough? Well, he was about to find out. He and his wife, Beverly, took a trip to Paris. They've been to Paris many times, visiting art in Paris. And while he was there, he got a terrible pain in his abdomen. And he had a tear in the lining of his stomach. Rushed to the hospital, it was over a weekend, waiting for a surgeon to show up. And while he was waiting for the surgeon to show up, he dies. And as he died, he could see his body down below on the table. They are working on him frantically. He's never felt so alive in all of his life, which is a similar story that people experience after, after this experience. And he's screaming at his wife, Beverly, I'm fine, I'm okay, leave me alone, this is great, death is wonderful. And about that time he hears some voices out in the hallway, come, come out here, hurry up, we've been waiting on you, come out here and join us. He couldn't see the people or the figures, he could hear their indistinct voices, and so he starts going toward the hallway, and as they pulled him out into the hallway... He noticed that they were going somewhere. And as they went further and further and further, they became more belligerent. They became more obnoxious. And he soon realized these were not friends, these were foes. And here's what he said. He said, when I looked around, I was horrified to discover that we were in complete darkness. The hopelessness of my situation overwhelmed me. I could feel their breath on me 
as they shouted and snarled insults. They began to push and shove me about. I began to fight back. A wild frenzy of taunting, screaming, and hitting ensued. As I swung and kicked at them, they bit and tore at my back. All the while, it was, it was obvious they were having fun. I was aware they were, there were dozens or hundreds of them. They were playing with me, just as a cat plays with a mouse. Every new assault brought howls of cacophonous laughter. And they began to tear off pieces of my flesh to my horror. I realized I was being taken apart. And I was eaten alive. Being eaten alive. At that moment, Howard Storm lay on the ground somewhere. And he heard a voice say, pray to me. And it wasn't his own voice. And it wasn't an outside voice. But it was a voice inside. And the voice said, pray to me. And Howard Storm said, that's stupid. I've never prayed before. I'm not about to start praying now. Here was a man with no religious inclinations by his own accord whatsoever. But by the third time he hears this voice, he thought to himself, I'm desperate. I don't know what else to do. And he didn't know how to pray. And so he's blurting out words. Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me. So he doesn't even know how to pray. It's just things he's heard. And finally, he kind of ends his little prayer with, okay, God, if you're real, I, 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 I show yourself. And according to his own words, he sees a light way off in the distance, like the faintest of stars. And that star just kept getting brighter and brighter and coming further and closer and closer and closer toward him. And according to his words, Howard Storm said, that he realized it wasn't a something, it was a someone. He said it was Jesus. And it was Jesus coming to get him. And Jesus Christ, according to him, I, I, I'm not there, I wasn't there, but according to Howard Storm, he said Jesus Christ picked me up, took care of my wounds, and told me I had another chance my life could end differently. Did I want to take advantage of this option? And Howard Storm, who was an agnostic, not an atheist, an agnostic, became a passionate believer in Jesus Christ. And to this day, he's doing everything he possibly can to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's his words. He said, why didn't I say yes to God sooner? Why did I wait so long? How much of my life have I wasted with my eyes closed to the truth? And then he said this. If you make one step toward God, God will take a giant step toward you. And isn't that true with most of us in this room? God has taken giant steps toward us. And we've said yes. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. So I want to encourage you today to continue to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to continue today, encourage you today to, to take a step. What's a step for you? What's a step of faith for you? Some of you in this room, you've, you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never said, I do believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
in a minute, say that to one of our prayer partners or, or ask our prayer partners some questions that you have. But I want you to grow this year. I want this to be a year of, just take a step of growth. Is it reading your Bible? Is it having a prayer partner? Is it being accountable to some men if you're a men, to some women if you're a woman? Is it joining a small group? I, I, I don't know what God wants you to do. I'm not here to talk you into classes and studies or groups or, but, but, but grow. How can you keep growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Because your eternity began the moment, your eternal life began the moment you said, I believe. I do believe. I am convinced that He is the real deal. And I will give my life and I will lead my whole family to Him. So your eternal life. In Christ began that moment you gave your life to Him. So this is not about theology, folks. Okay? This is, this is all about a relationship. This is all about you growing in your faith with your Savior, to whom you will spend eternity with. Let's stand. Would our prayer partners come down front? If you like special prayer this morning... Maybe today is your day to become a Christian. Maybe it's your day to go forward in Christian baptism. Maybe it's your day to consider a, a small group to be a part of next weekend. Just grow. Just grow. Just grow. My Father wants to be with you. My Father wants to spend time with you. My Father is absolutely crazy about you. Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you for all of your amazing provisions. But the greatest provision of all is that you want to be with us on this earth and after our deaths. And we praise you for that. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen.